Hey, everybody. It is Thursday, August 24th. It was a late night here at Mo News headquarters. We'll tell you about it in a second. You're listening to the Mo News podcast. I'm Mo Shwanunu. Just kidding. And I am Jill Wagner. <laughs> this is the place. It, was- <laughs> it was so late. I'm still sleeping. <laughs> this, <laughs> this is the place where we bring you just the facts. And reread all the news and read between the lines so you don't have to. So the debate went to 11 p.m. Eastern time, way past Jill's normal bedtime. But uh, nonetheless, uh, we're here to tell you about the highlights, the lowlights, um, everything in between and what former President Trump had to say. Uh, but Jill, before we get into that and the headlines, I know you were running a poll over on your Instagram account asking the peeps if... The podcast is too long or too short. And I was curious as to the results you got on your uh, poll there. We call this Moshe's turn to gloat uh, because I was extremely surprised, (laughs) (laughs) like genuinely shocked. Um, 37% said that less is more. 63% said more is more. I tend to think that our sweet spot in terms of the podcast length is about 30 minutes or less. You cannot help yourself but to add stories. Nope. You, you have zero self-control. <laughs> so this, so is, this, is, this is our debate. So just to have, give people background here, uh, you know, for the better part of 15 months as we've been doing this podcast, <laughs> uh, Jill is saying we got to get the pod under 30 minutes. I'm like, come on, 40 minutes, 45 minutes. It's okay. We're giving people good information. So Jill ran this poll, and I promised not to cook the books and get the, <laughs> all the hardcore Mo Newsers involved. So she ran it amongst her people on Instagram and got the more is more as opposed to the less is more. And I will say, Jill, I did vote for more is more. That was one vote towards the 60-something percent. Oh, I saw. <laughs> <laughs> well, with that said, should we get rolling here so we don't get too many minutes over 30 minutes today? Yes. Interestingly, I did get a bunch of people who said they listen on maybe 1.8, 2.0. Someone told me they listen at 2.8 speed, which seems insane to me. (laughs) But I guess that at that speed, we are coming in under 30 minutes. I mean, I've received the criticism that I already speak too quickly at 1.0 speed. I don't know how you guys make out what I say 2.5, but you know. Kudos to you. Okay, before this turns into an hour-long podcast. (laughs) Jill, the the clock is ticking here. Let's get started. All right, here are the headlines. We're going to start with the takeaways from the first GOP debate and Donald Trump's counter-programming interview with Tucker Carlson. Carlson asks him if he fears that he'll be assassinated. Speaking of assassinations, did Vladimir Putin strike again? Wagner chief Yevgeny Prigozhin is presumed dead after a plane that he was on was shot down. One small step for India. India becoming the fourth country to land on the moon and the first on the moon's South Pole. Here on Earth, Rudy Giuliani surrenders at a jail in Georgia over the election case, and Donald Trump is expected to turn himself in today. Abercrombie & Fitch, not the store that Moshe and I grew up on. The company's turning around its image, and Gen Z is all about it. The writers and actor strike continues partly over AI, but that is not stopping film and TV studios from posting AI jobs with salaries up to a million dollars. And we've been talking a lot on this podcast about home prices that are just simply out of reach for so many Americans. Well, here's a new strategy. Shrinkage. Jill reminds me of a certain Seinfeld episode. I was in the pool. 
And Moshe is on this day in history. A little Christina Aguilera, a little Huey Lewis in the news, a little Amelia Earhart, and some Windows 95 for you today, Joel. So, Moshe, the candidates took the stage in Milwaukee, including North Dakota Governor Doug Burgum, who had hurt his Achilles heel playing basketball. The elephant in the room, though, was Donald Trump, who instead of debating, did a taped interview with Tucker Carlson. So, Moshe, want to get us started with what happened at last night's debate, your big takeaways. All right. So this first Republican presidential debate illustrated deep divisions within the party with the candidates on stage arguing over a variety of issues over those two hours, including U.S. support for Ukraine, when and how to best restrict abortion nationwide and support for Trump. Eventually, Trump became an issue in that second hour. Most of the candidates did vow to continue supporting Ukraine in its war with Russia after Putin's invasion more than 18 months ago. But the notable exception was Vivek Ramaswamy. He suggested that supporting that country when the U.S. hasn't fixed its own problems is disastrous. That drew the ire of many of his rivals, including former U.N. Ambassador Nikki Haley, who really made a name for herself last night against Ramaswamy, that 38-year-old tech entrepreneur. Here's a bit of one of the exchanges that Haley had after Ramaswamy said, we're done supporting Ukraine. It's time to reestablish a relationship with Russia. He killed Pergozin. When I was at the UN, the Russian ambassador suddenly died. This guy is a murderer, and you are choosing a murderer over, over a pro-American country. First of all, first of all, first of all, Mr. Ramaswamy, you have 30 seconds. Mr. DeSantis, you know, Nikki, I wish you well ahead. in your future career on the boards of Lockheed and Raytheon. You know, I'm not on but the, the fact of the matter, Boeing came off of it, but you've been pushing this lie. You've been pushing this lie all week, Nikki. You want to go and defund Israel? You want to Okay, let me address that. I'm glad you brought that up. I'm going to address each of those right now. This is the false lies of a professional politician. There you have it. Your watch, you want to make America less safe. So that's just a taste of that first hour where Ramaswamy was at the center of almost every contentious exchange. Frankly, many of the candidates seemed very perturbed by Ramaswamy, who Chris Christie, Mike Pence, and Nikki Haley all cast as inexperienced and naive about how Washington works. They said, Ramaswamy, you've never run anything. You've never been elected to anything. Uh, He was stressing, though, it is time for a new generation. Uh, He comes from the Trump wing of the party. Uh, His views appeal very much to people who support Donald Trump. Trump right now has 30 to 40% support within the party. If you look at recent state and national polls, among Ramaswamy's views, cut that aid to Ukraine, focus on the U.S., completely eliminate the FBI, the IRS, the education department. Uh, Again, talking uh, repeatedly about being part of a new generation that will look at Washington differently and fighting that deep state, that swamp that Trump has talked about that he ran on. Uh, Ramaswamy very much has cast himself as a new, younger version of Trump. What's interesting here is many of the candidates spent a lot of time attacking Ramaswamy, like they couldn't help themselves. What that means is a couple things. One, they might just find him annoying. But more importantly, internal polling must be showing interesting things about his support or his potential for support. They see him as a true threat. Frankly, most of the others, Pence, uh, again, Christie um, and Haley, spend more time on him than Ron DeSantis. Speaking of Ron DeSantis, this was a big night for him. He said as much. Uh, This was an opportunity for him uh, to potentially break out here. But with all of the wrath focused on Ramaswamy, 
DeSantis was able to dodge attacks, but it also meant that he was out of the conversation at times. He began very slowly, gradually improved, especially in that second hour. The question is how many people were still watching in that second hour. No damage was really done to DeSantis, which he can come away and say, great. But the question is whether he uh, was able to increase his appeal, especially among Trump voters who he's trying to pull away from the former president. Among the things DeSantis said is he would be very tough on the border, saying he would send special forces, U.S. special forces, into Mexico to deal with the drug cartels. Unclear what the Mexican government would say about that. He also repeatedly stressed how anti-lockdown he was during COVID and talked about the various achievements he believes he's accomplished during his time as governor of Florida. So that's DeSantis there. Next up, former VP Mike Pence. He tried his best to say that he is the best qualified person on that stage, having been VP, but also someone who takes an oath to the Constitution, believes that oath, unlike his former boss, Trump. He pushed on social issues, including a 15-week ban on abortion nationally. That's something that several other candidates said they would support as well. One of the breakouts of the night, Jill, and I think you and I both agree on this. We talked about this on the Mo News Premium Instagram account last night where we were watching the debate live with Mo News Premium members, is Nikki Haley uh, made an interesting case to general election voters, to independents, to moderates. She would often and repeatedly last night serve as a fact check against other people on stage. She said at one point, you have Ron DeSantis, you've got Tim Scott, you've got Mike Pence, all of you voted to raise the debt. Donald Trump added $8 trillion to our debt. So she, unlike the rest of them, was not just criticizing Democrats. She was criticizing the Republican Party. She says that those of you who've been in Washington haven't done the job. So it's time for me as an outsider. She also said she would not impose a federal ban on abortion. She says the Senate doesn't have 60 Republican votes, anti-abortion Republican votes, and never will. So like, let's stop talking about this. She also said contraception should be available to all women. She was also one of the few candidates to acknowledge that climate change is real and needs to be addressed. She was also one of the first to criticize Trump by name. What's interesting, played well with a moderate audience, plays well with independents. We'll see, though, how that plays with Republican primary voters. You know, of course, she is the former governor of South Carolina. They vote third. New Hampshire is an independent state. They vote second, much more moderate than Iowa, which goes first. So there could be some potential for her. That's something to watch in the polls in the coming weeks, whether her performance helped her any. Chris Christie will just address briefly, great attack dog, a lot of debating experience, very good at tearing people down. If you watched it all last night, really took aim at Vivek Ramaswamy, took aim at several other folks on stage. But at times when he was criticizing Trump, especially was booed by the crowd, the crowd very pro-Trump. Now, this is a crowd of typical Republican voters brought from all of the candidates and yet collectively all still don't want to hear bad things about former President Trump. So can Chris Christie really do anything there? Uh, as far as the rest of them, Tim Scott, Senator from South Carolina, tried to bring his brand of positivity, really had trouble breaking through last night. Uh, and then you had North Dakota Governor Doug Burgum, who of course got injured earlier in the day during a basketball game, pickup basketball game. Uh, he came on stage despite uh, hurting his leg, his Achilles. Uh, he had actually came to the debate stage on crutches. Uh, but seemed to be okay. And then you had former Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson. Also, uh, at the end of a stage, Bergen was at the other end because of the lowest polling candidates. Really, both of them non-factors last night. And Moshe, there was lots of Donald Trump talk, even though he wasn't on stage. How did his interview with Tucker Carlson go? So we should say Trump continues to dominate the Republican field, dominate them so vastly by 20, 30, 40% in various polls. He decided... He doesn't need to debate these people. He's a former president. 
Instead, he decided to pre-tape an interview a couple days ago with former Fox News host Tucker Carlson. Tucker released it just a few minutes before the debate started over on X.com, formerly Twitter. A few highlights here. It was a very friendly interview. Uh, Trump stuck to his basic talking points, criticizing Biden's health, saying Putin wouldn't have invaded Ukraine if Trump was president. Criticizing Hunter Biden, saying the government is corrupt. Uh, the Biden administration, I should say, is corrupt. He also says Democrats are trying to force electric vehicles on Americans. He opposes that. And perhaps, though, the most newsworthy moment of the interview, Tucker Carlson asked him whether he thinks Jeffrey Epstein, the former financier, actually committed suicide or whether he was murdered. Now, keep in mind, this happened in 2019 while Trump was president in a federal prison. Trump responded that he believes Epstein probably did commit suicide. At other points during the interview, twice actually, Tucker asked Trump whether he was worried that people are going to try to kill him, that they impeached him, they indicted him, and whether his political opponents are going to try to murder him. Trump basically skirted around it both times, uh, merely saying, you know, my opponents, they're savage animals. They're people that are sick. Uh, One thing that didn't really come up, uh, how Trump is dealing with those 91 felonies, the four indictments. All Tucker asked was, how do you get indicted every week and stay cheerful? Uh, The question is, how many people actually watched the Trump interview here? It doesn't even matter. It was about a 45-minute conversation. Uh, According to Twitter, it drew 74 million views. But the way that Twitter slash X works is people just need to scroll by sometimes just less than a second, and that counts as a view. So as far as how many people actually watched it, unclear, and we're probably not going to get transparency from Twitter on that. Okay, now to some huge news overseas. Russian officials say that Yevgeny Prigozhin, the chief of the Wagner Group, was on board a plane that crashed northwest of Moscow on Wednesday. All 10 people on board, including Prigozhin, have reportedly been killed. There is no independent confirmation of this at this point, but a social media account linked to Prigozhin also says that he is dead, writing, quote, the head of the Wagner Group, a hero of Russia and a true patriot, died as a result of actions of traitors to Russia. The downing comes about two months after Prigozhin launched a mutiny against Russia's military leadership. That revolt was unexpectedly called off, and Prigozhin had made a deal with Putin that required that he and his fighters relocate to Belarus. Most Russia watchers and analysts said Prigozhin had a target on his back, that he was basically a dead man walking, Putin, not one to let things like that go. Even President Biden saying he was, quote, not surprised by news of Prigozhin's possible death, suggesting that it was Vladimir Putin that may have been behind the plane crash. Biden saying, I don't know for a fact what happened, but I am not surprised. Yeah, it's something we said for a while going back two months that uh, it was only a matter of time before Putin got his revenge. He's a rational, practical actor. He didn't see an opportunity to do it right away and sort of bid his time, though it's been about almost exactly 60 days um, since that failed mutiny. So what do we know right now? And again, given this happened inside Russia and our sources are Russian state media controlled by Putin, always take things from there with a grain of salt. The aircraft was flying from Moscow to St. Petersburg. It had been in the air for less than half an hour. And that's when a telegram channel linked to the Wagner group called the Gray Zone said local residents heard two bangs before the crash and saw two vapor trails. Gray Zone says the plane, which belonged to Prigozhin, was shot down by air defenses. So the belief is that the Russian military took this plane down. No confirmation from the Russian military, though. An investigation 
run by Russia, of course, has been launched into the crash, and emergency services were at the scene distributing photos. So going back here, and we reposted the bio of Pergozin. He was a former Kremlin caterer. He actually served prison time in the 80s. He started uh, selling hot dogs. He actually made his own mustard, um, Jill. He would become known as Putin's chef. Uh, then he would go on from being a caterer to one of the most important leaders in Putin's war efforts, starting his own militia, uh, getting billions of dollars uh, before starting to sour on the Russian military leadership and launching a pseudo coup uh, in late June. Wagner's men, in effect, seized control of two major cities in southern Russia, killing at least 13 Russian soldiers, downing two helicopters and a plane on their march to Moscow. Uh, and then there was an intervention by the leader of Belarus, uh, sort of a truce of sorts. Prigozhin got to go to Belarus for a very brief period. Uh, and then, of course, fast forward here to his untimely death on that flight from Moscow to St. Petersburg. Prigozhin had agreed to relocate to Belarus, but somehow kept coming back to Russia. He's originally from the town of St. Petersburg. Jill, I found this reaction notable from Wagner Group, Prigozhin allies. They wrote, even in hell, he will be the best. Glory to Russia. With friends like these. <laughs> Have never seen that on a tombstone before, Mosh. Jill, he runs a, a mercenary group full of ex-cons, and I guess one of them is controlling his social media feed. And they view that as a compliment. All right, we have a lot more to get to, but Jill, let's first get to our newest Mo News partner, Shopify. They have a new deal for all of you listeners out there, whether you're a business owner or have something you make as a hobby that you're looking to sell. If you haven't heard of Shopify, you may have heard this sound before. And that's the sound of another sale being made using Shopify. If you're a business owner like me, you're always looking for solutions to get your products out there to as many people as possible. Shopify is the commerce platform that is revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. We're looking to launch some Mo News merch this fall, actually soon in the coming weeks, Jill. We have some exciting news for everyone. And we will be looking to use Shopify as our hub. Whether you're an entrepreneur making your way on Facebook Marketplace or you're big and you're IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool you need to start, run, and grow your business. has a great checkout also that converts browsers to buyers. So right now, Shopify has a special deal for the Mo News community. You sign up for their just $1 per month trial period over at shopify.com slash monews, M-O-N-E-W-S, all lowercase. That is shopify, S-H-O-P-I-F-Y, shopify.com slash monews to take your business to the next level today. And we are always talking about health trends and food trends here on the podcast and just how hard it is to get all of your nutrients. Well, one way to try to get all of the important ones is Athletic Greens AG1 Powder. I have AG1 in the mornings. It's just one scoop with a glass of water. It's easy and quick, and it lets you get on with your day. Knowing that you have gotten over 75 important ingredients, including tons of vitamins and minerals, it also has pre and probiotics that support digestion and gut health. With your first purchase of AG1, Athletic Greens has given Mo News listeners a free one-year supply of their vitamin D and five free travel packs of AG1. Visit drinkag1.com slash monews to take advantage of this offer. You can get a discounted monthly subscription or just try it one time for just a month. Again, that is drinkag1.com slash monews, M-O-N-E-W-S for this special deal and really start to take ownership of your health. 
Time now for the speed read from CNBC. India can stake a new claim as a national superpower in space on Wednesday, landing its spacecraft safely on the moon's unexplored South Pole. That spacecraft launched last month and touched down on the lunar surface Wednesday morning. If you're wondering why there's no great, you know, one small step for man, one giant step for mankind, that's because this was an uncrewed mission. There was actually nobody on board that space vessel. But the feat makes India the fourth country to land on the moon and the first to land on one of the moon's lunar poles. Previously, Russia, then the Soviet Union, the U.S., and China have landed spacecraft successfully on the moon. India's prime minister tuning into that live stream saying, quote, all of the people of the world, the people of every country and region, India's successful moon mission is not just India's alone. This success belongs to all of humanity. Moshe, you posted a video of the Indian Space Research Organization Mission Control celebrating the successful landing And it was certainly reminiscent of a video that we have seen from NASA's uh, mission control. This is a huge deal for India. Uh, Some of you might recall that just a few years ago in 2019, uh, they tried the same thing and crashed into the moon. Not unlike the Russians over the weekend, the Japanese recently. Uh, Keep in mind all those previous missions you mentioned uh, by the then Soviet Union, by the U.S., uh, by the Chinese have all landed around the equator of the moon. Uh, Closer to this side, uh, more well-lit, easier to land on. This is the South Pole. This is on the dark side of the moon. So this is more challenging uh, and is really quite a feat for the Indians. Now, one of the reasons, and we've mentioned this, uh, that people are so interested in the South Pole of the moon is thanks to recent discoveries of traces of water ice on the moon. The South Pole, an interesting uh, scientific and geological area that needs further exploration. The discovery of water ice on the South Pole is really important for future exploration because it could serve as a source of fuel for rockets and spacecraft. So keep in mind, and I'll go back to our uh, eighth grade chemistry here, Jill, water is H2O. So of course you can drink it and it can be used for cooling, but H2O can be broken apart. You know, the O part is oxygen. You can breathe it. And the H part, hydrogen, which is fuel for rockets. Oh, the O is not Wanunu. No, not yet. <laughs> o in the periodic table of elements stands for oxygen. So that's the cool thing about you know the science here is you can basically create a uh, permanent mission up there without having to lug water and oxygen to the moon. And by the way, that costs a lot of money if there is, in fact, real water ice in there that can be utilized by NASA to just permanently have air, water, fuel, and that'll help us then you know, hop, skip, and a jump over to Mars. The administrator of NASA, Bill Nelson, congratulated the Indians yesterday, saying, we're glad to be your partner on this mission. By the way, the U.S. also is focused on the moon right now. Right now, the Artemis program is focused on putting humans back on the moon with several crewed missions coming up. And the goal right now is 2025, in just two years, to put the first person of color and first woman on the moon, uh, given NASA and the delays you typically see, you're probably looking more at 2030, but they're hoping sometime in this decade to put people back on the moon and that South Pole, high interest. And back here on Earth, we cannot escape politics from Politico. Rudy Giuliani, the former New York mayor who served as a lawyer for Donald Trump, was among more than a dozen of the former president's allies who have turned themselves in in the last 48 hours at an Atlanta area jail. Trump, for his part, is expected to turn himself in today ahead of a noon deadline tomorrow to surrender on charges 
that they illegally conspired to overturn the 2020 election loss in Georgia in a case that was brought by the Fulton County District Attorney, Fawny Willis. Trump was charged last week with 13 counts, including violating the state's anti-racketeering act, soliciting a public officer to violate their oath, conspiring to impersonate a public officer, conspiring to commit forgery in the first degree, and conspiring to file false documents. In a shift from the former president's previous three indictments, Georgia has decided to take mugshots of all of the defendants, and it appears that Trump will be included. We posted a few of those mugshots, including Giuliani's, on Instagram Wednesday. Giuliani spoke to reporters and said, I feel like I am defending the rights of all Americans. I am fighting for justice. I have been from the moment I represented Donald Trump an innocent man. There is something about a mugshot, Mosh. Absolutely. And it, clearly, these are state charges, Georgia state charges. Uh, and they've made a point in Georgia of taking that mugshot. That's a decision the feds decided not to do in the two uh, federal indictments, nor did New York, of all places, when they first indicted Trump in the spring. But the mugshot is being used as a badge of pride by a few of them. You can imagine the president, the former president, will be among those. Uh, former Georgia Republican Party chair David Schaefer, uh, one of the indicted, uh, he's among those using his mugshot as his new avatar over on X or Twitter. Uh, he has a smiling mugshot, and he announced the new photo in a tweet saying, good morning, hashtag new profile picture. So a few have serious looks on their faces. A few are smiling. Uh, there are a whole variety of bets right now as to what the former president might be doing in his mugshot. Will he do the iconic Trump thumbs up? Will he be smiling? I imagine he sees an opportunity to sell shirts with those photos uh, in the near future. So look out for that photo today. Uh, Trump has the highest bond agreement at $200,000, which he's agreed to pay. And by reaching that bond agreement ahead of time, he avoids an initial court appearance. He is expected to appear at an arraignment hearing in the coming weeks. Uh, we've told you Fawny Willis is looking to start this trial in the spring in just six months, which is very quick for a racketeering case. So some people are skeptical that she'll be able to do that. As for Trump, he has put on social media, quote, I will proudly be arrested tomorrow afternoon in Georgia. God bless the United States of America. From Reuters, Abercrombie & Fitch raised its annual sales forecast yesterday after its second quarter sales comfortably beat estimates. That's based on strong demand for the latest fashion styles at its Abercrombie label and improved assortment at Hollister. Abercrombie's upbeat sales forecast bucks a gloomy retail tone set by companies in recent weeks like Macy's and Kohl's and also stores like Foot Locker. Abercrombie's merchandise has really evolved to offer clothing that customers can wear, whether they are heading to the office or going out for happy hour. Those items include tailored pants called Sloan, which come in different fabrics and have gotten a following through TikTok, and a collection of dresses that shoppers can wear to a party or a wedding. Julie, remember the LFO Summer Girl song? I like girls that wear Abercrombie and Fitch. I would take her if I had one wish. There you go. <laughs> um, those of you millennials, uh, Gen Xers, remember that song back from the late 90s. Um, and that's the last time I really heard of Abercrombie, but they've had this surge lately. Jill, we were talking about in the office and the Gen Zers in the office want people to know they're really into Abercrombie. It's worked to boost sales both at Abercrombie and Hollister. That's a brand that still appeals more to teens. They've stepped up digital campaigns for Hollister. And they said that customer traffic improved in the quarter and sales growth continued through early August. They've also touted 
more store openings, including a new Abercrombie store on Fifth Avenue in New York City. Uh, They plan right now to open 35 new stores, remodel 20 stores, and close 30 stores. So Abercrombie's back, everybody. Will you still be able to smell cologne from about 100 yards away? (laughs) Oh, God. From NBC News, even as writers and actors are out on strike, in part because of the film industry's plans over AI, film and television studios are trying to hire people with expertise in artificial intelligence. Six entertainment companies, including Disney, Netflix, Sony, NBC Universal, have been advertising for at least 26 positions related to AI in recent weeks. That is according to an NBC News search of online job listings. The companies are looking to pay many of those potential software developers more than $200,000 a year, and in some cases, far more. Netflix has been advertising 18 positions related to AI or machine learning. One of the positions would pay as much as a million dollars to develop video games based on recent advances in AI. Jill, this is a big deal, and this is something we already playing with here at Mo News in terms of how we can, as a small organization, utilize AI related to video editing, related to content. Uh, rest assured, you are hearing the real motion, the real Jill on this podcast <laughs> for now, but we'll let you know if AI, uh, one of us comes around at some point. Jill, you might be able to use AI me when I go on paternity leave in a few weeks. I was just thinking the same thing. Maybe there is enough material that AI will be able to figure out what you would say. Moshe sounding pretty boring lately. What's going on with him? Does he need coffee? No, it's AI Moshe. He's just a more low-key version of him. AI Moshe is just Osh. We don't call him Moshe. He doesn't deserve all four letters. No. Um, NBC, NBC News has 26 AI-related job openings. They vary widely in how they relate to creating content, uh, which has been a major anxiety in discussions of how AI will affect the livelihood of creative professionals. Some of the openings are focused on the back end of certain products, such as using AI to personalize search results, while other positions are more directly about content generation and supporting others who might do content generation. The news site The Intercept reported last month that Netflix was offering as much as $900,000 for a single AI product manager. Another position for an engineering manager at Netflix would, again, pay up to $900,000 per year to oversee how the service uses AI to keep customers happy. Now, what's notable here, you know, everyone fears AI replacing jobs and certainly will, but at the same time, you still need human beings to manage the AI here. So that's something to keep in mind as this evolves. One industry group is saying that AI raises hard, important creative and legal questions for everyone. For example, writers want to be able to use this technology as part of their creative process without changing how credits are determined. So it's something that requires a lot of discussion, which we've committed to doing. Jill, you mentioned this is a huge issue for the striking writers and striking actors about how Hollywood would use their likenesses. Uh, But across the board here, regardless of industry, everyone's always looking for ways to make things more efficient. Uh, 40 years ago, it was the computer. 25 years ago, it was the internet. Uh, And now you have AI. Uh, And so the question is, how do human beings train around it? What jobs will be created around it? And what jobs will it replace? And we're still at the uh, opening stages of all of this. And now to a story that we've been talking a lot about uh, here on the podcast, mortgage rates at their highest level in 20 years. They're now nearing 8%. Well, this story from the Wall Street Journal, goodbye bathtub and living room, America's homes are shrinking. Home prices are near record highs, frustrating millions of potential buyers who feel priced out of the housing market. So home builders are having to find ways to make their product more affordable to increase their pool of customers. 
Shrinking the size of a new family home is an increasingly popular way to do it. Smaller homes can help cost-constrained buyers that are facing high mortgage rates, and they also boost the bottom line for the builders who are contending with spiraling labor and construction costs. Since 2018, the average unit size for new housing uh, has decreased by about 10%, and home sizes are shrinking the most, even more than that, in some of the hotter markets like Seattle, Charlotte, and San Antonio. You've heard of shrinkflation when it's coming to your products. Like that cereal box feels less full when you go through your grocery market aisles, and now your homes are getting smaller. So most builders and architects follow the same basic playbook to produce tighter and more efficient living spaces. So they're axing things like dining areas, bathtubs, separate living rooms. Secondary bedrooms and loft spaces are also shrinking, sometimes disappearing entirely depending on the home you're looking at. At the same time, they're increasing the size of multi-use rooms like kitchens and great rooms. Jill, for many people, they don't get much use out of that dining room anyway. You got to furnish it and then you have people over twice a year. Yeah. And to that point, the Wall Street Journal says that the kitchen island, which is becoming really popular in kitchens, in some cases is just the only eating area in the house. And you know what? I guess in some ways, like to your point, who uses their their dining room? Most people, when they have a kitchen island, prefer to eat there over a kitchen table. You're there, you're having the conversation, you're cooking the food, <laughs> you're standing. That's why everybody gets easier, whatever. You're like the dining room, it's just like it's a separate room. You got to clear the table, you got to get a tablecloth. Anyway, it's like for the holidays, right? Uh, you can't have uh, your holiday meal at the kitchen island. But apparently in some of these homes, you're going to be forced to. Demand has been strong for these smaller homes among entry-level buyers as well as empty nesters. And the furniture market is taking notice. Companies like Bob's Discount Furniture, I think I got a table from there at one point, uh, they're creating designs suited to these tighter spaces. Demand has increased for items with multiple functions, uh, like the aforementioned kitchen islands with drawers, wine racks, sleeper sofas, and smaller drop-leaf dining tables. In New York, we call that furniture that is built for New York City apartments. <laughs> All right, now time for On This Day in History. We're going to begin in 1932. Amelia Earhart took off from L.A., and when she landed in Newark, New Jersey the next day, she became the first woman to complete a solo nonstop flight across the U.S. Fast forward to 1949, NATO entered officially into force following the signing of its treaty four months earlier. In a bit of tech news, Microsoft released Windows 95 today in 1995, of course. Jill, that was a solid Windows product because I remember like the Windows that came out after that. Uh, had some issues. <laughs> Mosh, both Microsoft Windows and I peaked in 1995. <laughs> Jill, I don't have updates for you because I've been on a MacBook now for about 20-something years. <laughs> and in a little more space news for this uh, podcast, on this day in 2006, Pluto was demoted from planet to dwarf planet, led to a lot of outrage. But there are three uh, things that define a planet, and Pluto only has two of the three. The third thing that Pluto doesn't have that the rest of the planets have, like Earth, etc., in our solar system, is we've cleared the neighborhood, so to speak, of similarly sized objects. So we all have moons that revolve around us, but nothing like near the size of Earth. Pluto hasn't cleared the neighborhood, and so the International Astronomical Union says, you don't get full planet, you just get dwarf planet. Wah, wah. So it's funny because my daughter actually started to learn about the planets and you know the acronym for the nine planets, a lot of people would say, my very educated mother just served us nine pumpkins or something like that. And now they have to get rid of the last piece. So I was just Googling what kids say now. And it's, my very excellent mom just served us noodles. 
Jill, I still believe in Pluto. I still give it personally here at Mo News. Pluto, we consider you a planet. And finally, we'll end with a bit of music news. We'll begin in the 80s. Recognize that tune? It's celebrating a 38th anniversary today. The Power of Love by Huey Lewis and the News reached number one on the Billboard charts on this day in 1985. I just picture Michael J. Fox hanging on to the back of that truck, skateboarding um, in Back to the Future. Yeah, that Jeep with the vests. Uh, it's been a big Michael J. Fox week. Uh, yesterday was the anniversary of Teen Wolf. Today, the iconic Huey Lewis and the News hit. And we'll end here with one more musical memory. All right, you know that song. 24 years ago today, Christina Aguilera released her debut album titled Christina Aguilera, including this hit, Genie in a Bottle. All right, we want to thank you for listening to the Mo News Podcast. If you like what you hear, please share this with your friends. We'd really appreciate it. It will help us grow. Follow us and subscribe so you don't miss an episode and review us in the App Store. And thanks to all of you who joined us live last night on Mo News Premium uh, for the live coverage of the debate. I hope you enjoyed it. Please let me know what you thought. Uh, And to all of you who are joining Mo News Premium, the masses joining to support what we're doing here, support independent journalism, and get access to uh, early content, exclusive content over on Instagram and this podcast. Okay, bye everyone. Thanks for listening to the Mo News Podcast.